0: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
1: Hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with licensed psychologist and author of a new book, No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships, with uh, Dr. Allison Nuremberg. In the uh, middle of our three-hour tour, the second hour of the show, we're going to talk with noted historian Samuel Redman, author of a new book, The Museum, A Short History of Crisis and Resilience. Very interesting uh, conversation. But we're going to start out this morning with one I've been looking forward to uh, for a little while now. Um, a a uh, Let's see, a new book is out called... Uh, the Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans Abandoned America, and it's written by Ira, um, Ira Shapiro, read that wrong, who had a 45-year uh, Washington career uh, focusing on American politics and international trade. He served 12 years in senior staff positions in the U.S. Senate, including working for um senators like Eagleton, Byrd, and Rockefeller, among several others. He served in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative during the Clinton administration, first as general counsel and then chief negotiator with Japan and Canada with the rank of ambassador. And uh, Ira joins me by phone. Ira, welcome. Uh, Good morning and thanks for uh, joining me. Tom, it's thank you for having me it's great to be with you um
2: and i have to say i may stay on line to listen to allison nuremberg and samuel redmond this is what a great what a great series of shows you're
1: having (laughs) well i'll tell you that's one of my favorite things about doing this show ira is getting to talk to people like them and people like you as well um in fact i'm gonna tell you a funny story some people maybe uh in the in the Trump camp might consider you uh, a, a swamp dweller because of some of the positions you've held in the past and I I uh, have become very well acquainted with Mark everson and I don't know if you no mark at all, but he served in a couple of presidential administrations in high-ranking officials, including heading the uh, IRS for a while and being pretty far up in INS, but he worked at the Justice Department in a lot of different places, and uh, considers himself a Republican. And We were talking about that whole concept of draining the swamp, and he said that from his perspective, most swamp dwellers were just dedicated public servants that made the trains run on time <laughs>
2: well look I I look I, I I plead guilty to have moved to the Washington area a long time ago in 1975 to work in the Senate and I'd stayed in the area uh, when I was in government and when I was not in government uh, it was I found it was a great deal for my kids because they didn't care what job I had. We were still living in the same place, going to the same schools. But um, I I do think I I had sort of an unusual Senate experience back in the 70s and 80s, in part because I was there when the Senate still really worked, but in part uh, because I was lucky enough to work for a, a series of senators, mostly from the Midwest, um, Eagleton of Missouri, Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin, Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia, and also had a very close relationship with Fritz Mondale when he was senator and then vice president and then ambassador. So I, I think I had a, I got a good perspective of, more of the nation
1: than I might have otherwise had. Yeah, and and Fritz Mondale, of course, uh, would have been a great place to learn, despite his uh, youth and inexperience. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the book, Ira. Um, the The title seems. <laughs> A little challenging how Mitch McConnell and uh, the Senate Republicans abandoned America. And in, in the short title is The Betrayal. Um, where do you think they lost the grip? And, and I feel like it was allowing Donald Trump to take such dramatic control of the Republican Party. But uh, you may have many better yeah. insights than i do
2: well uh, if i have better insights it's because you cover a broader range of subjects <laughs> and i've been kind of focused on the senate about which i this was my third book and i didn't expect to write it um but i got upset particularly during 2020 when i really believed that the Repu- McConnell and the Senate Republicans abandoned America and betrayed their oath of office. Now, why do I say that? Yeah, Um, it goes back. It goes back a little to the sort of concept of the Constitution. Uh, You know, there have been a lot of books about Donald Trump and his disruptive presidency and the threat that he has posed and continues to pose, I'm afraid, to our democracy. But the framers of the Constitution Anticipated the possibility of a corrupt or rogue president. They thought, however, we had a strong, they were putting in place a strong enough system to prevent the damage. And the checks and balances system that we all know about, uh, the strong Senate was an important part of it. Those people in the Senate, those privileged people who ha- hold those really important offices and have the great honor of multiple six-year terms they have a lot of functions but their principal responsibility is to make to check an authoritarian president if he comes along if somebody's abusing their power that's what they're there for and yet when trump ascended to power uh after the first year or two when I could argue that there were some reasonable indications of checks, they completely abandoned their responsibility and they abandoned it worse in our crisis year of 2020. And for that reason, I don't think, and we can get into more details, but I think betrayal uh, and abandonment, that's a harsh indictment, but I think it's completely justified
1: you know it's what's interesting about this is there was a sense that um at some point truth didn't matter and it, it it was almost as if their requirement had been lifted in the wake of what became known as fake news and alternative facts and, and this lack of trust that the general public now has in almost anything official, whether it's a government agency, an elected official, law enforcement uh, uh Scientists, uh, you know, the list goes on and on, and people just kind of don't trust anybody anymore. Uh, did that sort of let McConnell and and some of his uh, cohorts off the hook in some way?
2: Well, I think you're certainly right, Tom. Uh, that the 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 movement away from truth, uh, what what Kellyanne Conway, Trump's <laughs> counselor, called alternative facts. Um,
1: you know, Trump's the first time I heard her say that, I laughed hysterically. Yeah. I, I couldn't yeah. help it. I thought, that is the most brilliant spin I've ever seen.
2: I agree. It was a brilliant spin. But Trump's, Trump's relentless seri- thousands of lies did take a toll on things. But from my standpoint, um, Tom, that enhanced the importance of the senators speaking up, uh, pushing back where necessary, overseeing Trump, and speaking the truth, using their positions to speak the truth. And I'll give you an example of how the system, in my view, breaks down. We have the presidential election of 2020. Close election in many respects, not so close in popular vote, but close. Several days later, November 7, Joe Biden is, is proclaimed the winner by the networks and Associated Press, which is the traditional end of the election. This time, however, the Republican centers most of them, led by McConnell, they did not acknowledge the victory. They talked about Trump's right to bring cases in court. They conveyed the impression that something, something irregular had happened. And weeks went by between the election date, uh, the, the election result, and the Electoral College five weeks later. And in that five weeks, the big lie that the election was rigged and that it was stolen, it festered and then it fomented. And that's why I hold them accountable. If Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and other Republican senators besides Susan Collins and a couple of others, if they had stood up and said, well, That was a hard-fought election. I'm sorry we didn't win. We'll be back in four years. I don't think 50 million people would have doubted the result of the election. I think they failed us there. And that's one specific failure of... And look, the other thing I would add, Tom, I start the book with a quote from former Senator Jeff Flake, but this was in the first year of Trump and you may, you may have seen the quote where he says, not many people have the responsibility of, of holding the executive branch in chaos, holding them accountable. And we sort of stand around and say, somebody ought to do something without realizing that the somebody is us. They had the responsibility and they had the positions and they had the microphone. So voters can do what we do, and others in the public can speak out. But the senators had the first—they were the first and last line of defense,
1: and they failed us. That And, and it's really interesting the way the— um, uh, Checks and balances work is the Supreme Court really is the oversight on Congress, and Congress is the oversight on the executive branch. Well, that's right, of course. And, and you put it primarily, well, you know, primarily yeah, yeah. that's well, how I, it the works. The
2: Supreme Court is the oversight of Congress and the president, um, although, and here's, of course, where look my my argument in the book is my, my narrative in the book is mostly about the Senate during the Trump years and what I believe to be their failure. but our politics and our gov- our politics were broken and our government was in dysfunction before Donald Trump came down the escalator in
3: 2015 so.
2: While I think it's understandable that there have been 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 books written about Trump, I think the problems are, you know, predate him and have gotten worse because of him.
1: And
4: I, I focus I, on...
2: I,
1: I, I hate to interrupt, but I have a break coming no, up here in about 30, 30 seconds. Long speeches. And, uh, no, I'm, I'm all for long speeches, and uh, we'll make <laughs> a couple more when we come back. But uh, great, my, my guest is um, Irish Shapiro. The book is The Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans Abandoned America. And when we come back, I, I, I want to share a uh, Barack Obama quote about what you just said with regard to uh, Trump not starting all of that sure. anyway we'll be right back
2: hello out there everybody it's me tigger ti double G.
1: that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy <laughs> and hey, welcome back uh, everybody we um have with us uh, by phone a um, career uh, uh, government official who spent uh, many years working uh, as a staffer in the US Senate he had a couple of uh, positions uh, in the Clinton administration as well and he has a new book that talks about uh, how Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans abandon America in fact, that's the subtitle of his book, The Betrayal. His name is Ira Shapiro, and he joins me by phone. Ira welcome back. thanks for sticking around and sorry to make you sit through all that um uh, It's my pleasure <laughs> to be here. you know that <laughs> um well i and I'm glad to hear you say that now I mentioned just before the break you were talking about how Trump didn't bring the this collapse and and what you call in your book betrayal about all by himself and and i mentioned a speech i heard uh, barack obama give either during or shortly after the 2020 election and he mentioned and it wasn't a major part of his speech but he he mentioned somewhat parenthetically and i thought it was a much larger point than that that um, trump wasn't the cause of the political divide in this country but he was a symptom of it yeah I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because so many people you know and I I know you had to be one of them I was stood around scratching their heads going how does this guy keep finding support well
2: I look Like you, Tom, and many others, I've thought about that quite a bit. But I certainly agree with President Obama, former President Obama's view, uh, that Trump was not the cause of the political breakdown, although I think he was more, by the end, he was more than a symptom.
1: Oh, he was happy to pour gas on the fire. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Gasoline on the fire, or... A lot of dry wood out there and just throwing matches (laughs) and then putting the gasoline on the fire. Look, if we go back, remember Barack Obama's famous 2004 speech uh, that made him a national figure at the Democratic Convention of 2004, this unknown state senator at the time who said, we're not... There's not a red America or a blue, blue America. We're all America or whatever. I can't remember the exact language. He always believed or articulated the fact that we were one nation, etc. And when he became president and tried to act on it, from day one, he encountered the stonewalling and obstruction of Mitch McConnell.
1: Oh, I remember Mitch McConnell saying in so many words, we need to make it job one to make this president not successful.
2: Right. And when I say from day one, uh, McConnell brought together the Senate Republican caucus even before uh, Obama took the oath of office. And in his own memoir, He's very proud of this in his own memoir, by the way, who writes a memoir while they're still in office dumping on everybody else. But (laughs) in his own memoir, no, no, McConnell says it was a rainy, cold, dreary day and we were all depressed and angry The Senate Republicans as they meet for their annual caucus. They weren't. Here's the key. The nation was in the Great Recession and on the verge of perhaps going into a second Great Depression because of the financial collapse of Wall Street that had spread to Main Street. That's not what upset McConnell and the Senate Republicans. What upset the Senate McConnell was Obama was coming to office with high approval ratings. We got to take him down. So I think I can't having worked with some of the real Senate leaders. Spoiler alert, in case it's not obvious, I'm old. Having worked with a lot of the Senate leaders who really worked for the country, I can't conceive of another Senate leader who would have behaved that way when our country was in economic peril. But that was that was McConnell. And that's. He has been the person, in my view, who has had the most dominant effect on our politics for the last 15 years, even perhaps excluding Trump.
1: Ira, do you think that uh, Nancy Pelosi is uh, perhaps damaging or reckless in similar ways from the complete other side of the aisle or spectrum?
2: Well, Tom, it, it, so secret. It will be no secret to your listeners and you that I'm
1: a Democrat. I and um, I'm and I'm not asking uh, you to no, no, disparage no, no, the I'm, Democratic Party in any way, no, Ira. But I just no, wonder no, I, if leadership I, I, hasn't gone awry on on all sides.
2: N- no, I I think that's actually not what's happened. I don't think that's what happens. Um, and it's, it's, it is sometimes said, you know, both sides have done this or that, leadership has failed on both sides or this or that. I think there's a very strong case that this has been asymmetrical for a long time. Uh, and by the way, I've worked with a lot of former Republicans, Republicans and former Republicans, who think that we have one sort of difficult political party, the Democrats, and we have one political party that's become an apocalyptic cult, their party, their former party. And I'm quoting uh, a 25-year Republican veteran, Mike Lothgren, who wrote a book 10 years ago in which he described his party as an apocalyptic cult. So no, there is no... Parallelism between Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, except that they're both long-standing, long-serving, and they do represent their parties very strongly.
1: Well, let me let me ask a little bit about some of what went on during the the Trump administration, because there were a handful of uh, Republicans that that spoke out against Trump. Um, Mitt yeah. Romney of course uh, starting even back during the election and he he made some very strong remarks against trump and 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 then um, Liz Cheney of, of all people um, and and the way and you mentioned earlier susan Collins and there and there were a couple of others jeff flake um, and flake was a republican wasn't he Yes, she was. Okay. I I I and thought I, would he,
2: add, I I would add Bob Corker of Tennessee
1: as well. Yeah, there were there were a handful of of Republicans who spoke out and said, you know, this this is not the Republican Party, you know, that I signed up for. This has become something else. And there has become this fight within the party with Republicans attacking Republicans, and we've just we're we're in the middle of midterm elections, and a lot of a lot of money is changing hands over whether or not Trump's endorsements are going to have any impact on the primaries in some of these Senate races around the country. Um, but is there, you know, from from your perspective and and from the knowledge that you have? Is it at all possible that the Republican Party could split into two parties? (laughs) Um, There are people
2: who would like the Republican Party to split into two parties. It's it's
1: not my dad's Republican Party,
2: for sure. No, no, it's not your dad's. And it's been changing for not just Trump years, not even just McConnell leadership years. It's been changing for like 30 years but and moving from what I consider to be conservatism to radicalism and nihilism. But, but to, to, to go back a little bit on this question, um, my second book, which came out in 2018, was called Broken, Can the Senate Save Itself and the Country? And it was written through the first Eight, nine, ten months of Trump in his coming to office, and at that time, I was cautiously optimistic that there were enough Republicans who were who regarded Trump as a, different from their party traditionally, but also dangerous, a threat to the constitutional order. If you read flake statements, if you read porkers, and also, of course, John McCain was still alive and speaking True. out very strongly. Sure. So I'm
1: glad you mentioned him.
2: There were, and they reacted very strongly, Tom, particularly in the first months to Trump's relationship to Russia. They were very concerned about, you know, we've got a president who seems inexplicably devoted to Vladimir Putin. And so they were on it, but what happened over time was: Plate left politics. Corker decided to retire. McCain passed away. The best part of Lindsey Graham apparently died with John McCain, and a num they they started retreating. And McConnell, who was the most powerful of them, uh, basically. Found ways to get along with Trump in order to further his overriding objectives, and that his McConnell's overriding objectives, and that was sacking the Supreme Court and tax cuts for the rich.
1: And you know, the thing that I always challenge Republicans about isn't the tax cuts; it's the unwillingness to um, to cut spending to balance the books
2: yeah but look I I I would challenge them as a, as a Democrat who's worked with a lot of Republicans I would challenge them on a whole range of things including massive deregulation in areas of environment health and safety um you know, conditions, as as you know, in your area. Clint, uh, Michigan is one example of a place that has been neglected for a long time by the federal government which, with tragic results.
1: And the state, um, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, look, I my basic view is that a country like ours, particularly, 330 million people complex contentious diverse a lot of needs a lot of problems you need a federal government that functions It shouldn't intrude on everything but it can't be gutted either so i i think my indictment of of the republicans was pretty overall pretty strong and shared by a lot of people but i particularly as I said in the book, and he's on the cover for that reason. I particularly blame McConnell. Uh, he used his talents, well, considerable and, talents, and, in a way that don't help the country.
1: And and he, you know, he hasn't been as secretive as as um, he started <laughs> out to be. You know, Absolutely. Dur- during the uh, the impeachments of Donald Trump, for example. At one point, Mitch McConnell said some very disparaging things about Donald Trump and his potential impact on the January sixth um, attack on the Capitol building. You, oh, I agree. Look, and, and then he get, turned around and didn't vote to impeach him to convict. To right. convict, yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you though. Um, you can't find better speeches condemning trump's role in the insurrection than mitch mcconnell gave those were great speeches anyone would have been proud to give them and then he turns around and votes for specious reasons not to convict and the answer i think is quite simple he was outraged at trump but he felt that trump was still too strong in the party and he couldn't take him down. McConnell would love it if Trump was gone from the scene completely, Uh, but he wasn't going to do anything more than those statements and then, you know, move on to other things. And the other things, by the way, which are very relevant now, McConnell believes that the out-of-party power, the out-of-power party the Republicans have a real opportunity because the president of the United States gets held accountable and get loses ground usually in off year elections when the country's not doing well. So that's his strategy: get back to power by stopping Biden.
1: Well, Ira, let me ask you this: your your last book, I think, was um, Broken. Can the Senate Save Itself and the Country? Well, the um,
2: answer's clear so far. No. Well, <laughs> now, yeah, I was just
1: going to say, now this book is saying, um, you know, how the betrayal, how Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans abandoned America. It's, you know, it's back to stating the, the problem again <laughs> and, and not so much with the solutions, which which really raises the question, can the toothpaste be put back in the tube?
2: Well, somebody said to me, one of my friends who read the book said to me, Well, it's really a good book. It's really well written, really depressing. Um, And I think, Tom, as we talked about alternative facts, I thought it was important to write the book, to get the record, the historic record right. I think that it's important to to write it as thoroughly and fairly as you can and not just go on Twitter and not even just write op-ed pieces. So I did that, and I believe it's fair and thorough. But it ends with a call to action. It ends with a call to action. And the call to action is we have to change the politics by changing the the Senate in 2022 elections. Change the politics if you gain seats in the Senate against the odds and against the political climate. But we've got a favorable map if we're Democrats. There are more seats that are up. Republican seats are up. We've got some great candidates. They've got some problems, the Republicans. We win a couple of seats, more. It changes the politics of the country. It diminishes McConnell's power. That's what we need to be doing. It's on us. The Senate won't do it themselves.
1: What kind of leadership do we need to have to make the kinds of changes that would make a difference? Where does that come from? Uh, You know, I mean, there are some people who in the early days of Barack Obama's campaign thought, man, this was the, the grassroots movement to end all grassroots movement. We saw a little bit of that during uh, Kennedy's campaign. Um, but where where are the, the shining nights? Well, but look,
2: first of all, I'm a great admirer of Barack Obama, and I shared the excitement that many Americans, whatever their political party, had when Barack Obama became president. He was a shining knight. But it's clear that one shining knight can't do it by themselves. It's on, it's on a lot of people and all of us. And I would I would argue that the voters all across the country came through in 2018 producing a democratic house which was indispensable because it impeached donald trump and i believe they came through in 2020 during a terrible period of covid and everything else that was going on we had a record turnout and joe biden defeated donald trump and it's i agree it's difficult I understand it's difficult to gear up every two years to fight for the democracy, but we have to do it. They have to come out again. And my point about McConnell and changing the Senate is that's a unifying theme. That's something progressive Democrats and moderate Democrats and independents and some disillusioned Republicans can all agree on. He's been bad for the country. The Senate Republicans have failed the country, so let's do something about
1: it. And there are several Republicans who have spoken out about that, um, but despite that, do you think the Republican Party is uh, um, poised to uh, nominate Trump again in 2024?
2: Well, I take it one step at a time, um, so See I am focused it goes on the 2024.
1: 2020- See how it goes in November.
2: No, no, that's true. But I I do take it one step at a time. But I also believe the other thing that's going on now is the work of the January 6th committee, um, which I believe is going to put, is putting together the investigation in an extraordinary way, and the report and the criminal referrals, which will go right up, the line and i think that the verdict on president former president trump isn't in yet so his strength in 2024 it's too early to judge i believe my personal view is he won't run for president again and if he runs for president again i believe he'll be defeated but let's see how it goes I'll take it one step at a time.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Ira, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. And and you were concerned. I'm a Senate
2: that- guy, Tom. I syllabus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. Um, <laughs> But uh, but all kidding aside, what's next for you? And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. So, if you have oh, a website thanks. you'd like to share, please do. I
2: I would like to share the website in. Thank you, Tom, because it's new. Also, I. www.irishapiroauthoroneword.com and it tells you about the book and it tells you about what else I've done. Um, I have no plans thus beyond the next five and a half months. I'm going to do everything I can to use the book as a platform to try to be helpful in and speak out in some of the Senate races that matter. Uh, After that, you know, maybe I'll write a fourth book, but it won't be about the Senate. <laughs> I've, I've covered that subject.
1: Well, okay. Um, anyway, Ira, thank you so much. Ira Shapiro is uh, is my guest. The name of the book is The Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans Abandoned America. Uh Ira, thanks again for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, sharing your uh, thoughts and your expertise with us and in the book. And keep up the good work. Well,
2: you too, Tom. You've, you've got a great, uh, got a great show and a tremendous influence in your area. And I'm very, I feel privileged to be with you.
1: Well, you take care. Bye. Again, Iris Shapiro, in the name of the book, is uh, The Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans Abandoned America. And we're going to take a, a short break. Let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right
8: now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans.
7: Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
5: So soon, it just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana, your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you.
0: Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week.
5: I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
8: Here is some more of the rich humour of Brooks Hayes of Arkansas, special assistant to the President. My grandson, a 15-year-old red-headed, wise-cracking high school lad, uh, loves to cut me down to size. This grandson was in to see me recently, he saw some books on my desk, passed over some that I had produced, only two. I'm, I haven't produced them in great volume, but uh, one, I, and I make this reference, uh, believe me, with some sense of modesty, the first book was one produced for the Baptist. When I was elected president of the convention, they thought they should have a book. <laughs> and then later, the University of North Carolina asked me for a book on the Little Rock story. My uh, father was asked when this book came out, uh, Mr. Hayes, have you read Brooks' last book? He said, I hope so. And, uh, then, uh, the, um, but uh, this lad uh, didn't comment on those two books. He looked at the third one, which said how to get and keep the job you want. He said he was four years late getting that one to you. <laughs> But uh, I've been quite happy in this assignment. Uh, even uh, the uh, proximity to Arthur Schlesinger is enjoyable. The president put me there, I think. So if any hard questions came up, uh, Mr. Schlesinger had me. And, uh, I uh, I told someone in a dinner meeting uh, someone I was with in Washington at a banquet recently uh, just that and he said well the trouble with uh, you and Arthur Schlesinger is that you're both answering questions nobody's asked (laughs) Uh, which which I submit was a thoroughly partisan comment Uh, uh, well we're at the east end of the White House and we're easy to reach and I hope if you're there you'll come to see us Uh, Someone said, Mr. Hayes, are you close to Mr. Kennedy? And I said, philosophically and politically and intellectually, yes, very close. I said, physically, uh, I'm over here on the east end. It's like the little lady said when I asked her in Polk County if she had seen Halley's Comet. She said, just from a distance. (laughs) Um, But in this election year in particular, I have to be careful. There is a difference, you know. I remember one year when one of our colleagues had been through the South, and when he got back, he confronted an Alabama member with uh, this uh, comment. said, Bill, you're in trouble. I've been in your district, and Henry Wilson's announced against you. Well, he said, I'm not surprised. I know that fellow. He's a thief and a crook and a liar. He's the kind of man that would run against me. <laughs> well, he said, I've got more bad news. said, George Johnson's going to announce against you tomorrow. Well, he said he's the same type of individual. He's a thoroughly evil person. He's lucky to be out of the penitentiary. And then he said, look, I'm just kidding you. I saw them both. Therefore, for you and sent you their regards. And, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, it, uh, it produced this comment. Well, see what you've made me do. I've said some ugly things about two of the sweetest, finest men I've
4: ever known. (laughs) Uh,
8: (laughs) I remembered uh, the experience of 1933. I ran in a special election in that year for a seat in the Congress, the one that I was to win uh, nine years later. But in 1933, the Depression year, and it was a terrible year, and this is a rural district, remember... Uh, Maybe you suffered, too, from the Depression, but as one of my farmer friends said, Brooks, this Depression wouldn't have been near so bad if it hadn't come along right in the middle of hard times.
4: (laughs) uh,
8: I, uh, I said that to a Georgia audience not long ago, and the chairman said, well, Mr. Hayes, Arkansas was not alone. Georgia had it, too. I said to... He said, uh, I asked a fellow once, do you remember 1933? He said, sure. That's the year I broke my arm. I said, "Uh, broke your arm? He said, yes, I was eating my breakfast, and I fell out of the persimmon tree. (laughs) So, uh, uh, some of my first lessons, I should say, if you will permit me to enter this delicate area, were in this little church down in Arkansas. A little congregation. And in uh, my first lessons, really, in democracy, were in that Baptist church. You non Baptists, forgive me. This is not propaganda. Uh, it just happened to be a Baptist church, and I am a Baptist. I'm almost as bad as Brother Puckett, who opposed the consolidation of our church with the Christian church. He said, I'm a Baptist, and nobody's going to make a Christian out of me. <laughs> sometimes there'd be differences over whether to buy uh, a new organ or not. And sometimes those are interesting discussions. I remember when they wanted to buy a new uh, chandelier, not a new one, but because the ladies wanted the chandelier. And one of the deacons said, well, now we can't do it. said, if we went to order it, we wouldn't know how to spell it. (laughs) And said... uh, 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 And he said, anyway, uh, if we got one, nobody knew how to play it. (laughs) And he said, anyway, I'm telling you, I think all the deacons agree that if we're going to spend any money on anything new, we need a new light fixture.
4: (laughs) This was
0: another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
8: I've seen a lot of life on this old earth I've seen a whole lot of changes Some for better Some for worse But last night I had a vision I'd like to pass it on To each and every one of you So give a listen
7: Last
1: night I had a vision That all of the world
4: at peace. Children were singing in every land, rejoicing. We were rejoicing on every, on every
1: street. For peace had come.
4: I know, know. yes I know
3: this letter and bear these facts in mind. If there were more opportunities, mental illness would take a dive. There would be less homeless people and far less suicide. With more opportunities, everyone would have a goal. It would increase the family values and reduce the welfare rolls. With more people working, these are natural facts. It would help balance the budget and reduce the income tax. Why are our families fighting on foreign soil? Are they helping anyone, or is it because we want their oil? Why are gas prices almost to the sky? Does it justify why our brothers and sisters have to die? We've been trying to solve the world's problems, but we have problems of our own. I just think it's time for us to learn that charity begins at home. Sign, we the future of the United States.